Welcome to More Than A Game. My name's Tommy C. Uh, are you one of our regular listeners or watchers? Well, if you are, please jump online, send us a review on whatever platform it is that you might uh, listen or, or watch us on. Uh, we love your feedback and it really does help us uh, improve and grow. A um, little bit unusual this week on More Than A Game. Obviously, it's a Wednesday and we're coming to you live. Um with uh, so many games being played on Sunday and Monday, we thought, well, why not? Like, we're not doing anything else midweek, so let's jump on and, and Jesse and I are going to walk you through uh, some of uh, the things that have been happening in the last few days. So, um, Jesse, great to have you on board, as always. You, you look like you've just, uh, you, you're settling in with some refreshments there on your on your Wednesday night. Got to keep hydrated. Um, <laughs> it's a long week, uh, especially in lockdown, and just treated myself to a, um, what's on the agenda today, a Sensei. A hazy IPA. So uh, strap yourself in once again. Um, let's see how she goes. Man, I hope you don't get too hazy uh, on the pod today. <laughs> All righty. Um, look, because this is a midweek pod, we're, we're not going to do any moment of the week or own goal, but there are a few things that we were wanted to get through before we kick into the Premier League. Um, first up, uh, Jesse, who did you think won the US presidential debate today? I haven't even watched it. I've, basically, all the stuff that I've seen has basically made me think, oh, I've got other things I'd like to do in my afternoon because everyone yeah. has just talked about how much of a uh, absolute uh, shit show it was. So um, unless you can say anything otherwise, um, <laughs> I might have to go back for the uh, highlights, the mini-match of the I debate, think, maybe. That That is a good call. That is a good call. <laughs> All right, um, we'll, we'll leave, uh, regardless of what your politics are, I think we can all enjoy a little bit of kit chat. So let's jump into that, though. So um, uh, obviously, uh, there were a whole bunch of kits that were released in the last 48 hours. You had nine kits released by the Jets, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory. Um, and then also MacArthur Bulls, Western City Wanderers, Perth and Sydney also had their kits leaked um, via sort of indirectly through through FIFA 21 as well. Um, curiously, Western United, Wellington and Central Coast are nowhere to be seen. Um, Jesse, did you did you have a, a favourite out of any of the, the kits that you saw? Well, because it's funny because we talk about some of the kits, the kits from today, but um, going back to one that was sort of brought out a lot earlier than everything else, the um, Adelaide Home Kit I quite like. Oh, um, yeah. Which is kind of like, you know, not so much a today story, but... Um, uh, I guess it now kind of has its uh, away kit to go with it, which a few people really like. A few people call it the McDonald's the McDonald's the, kit. The um, cheeseburger kit, yeah. The cheeseburger <laughs> kit. So um, that's already got some good traction on social media. But um, out of them all, I mean, I think uh, one of the early ones I saw was the Newcastle one. And mm. um, I think most people, whether or not they are a Jets fan or not a Jets fan, um, you could probably always appreciate a good gold number. And um, the the gold number looks really nice. Um, from what I've seen. We haven't seen it in the flesh yet from what I've seen, but from the the images, it looks good. True. I'm, I'm really happy that they've brought back the, the gold kit. Um, it's, a, it's just a shame that it isn't their home kit, but, uh, well, I guess it can't have everything in life, right? Um, the city kit, for- Tommy, you must you must be pretty pleased with that. It looked pretty nice from what I saw. Well, which one? They've released well, three today. Well, I, I, I saw the other – I saw the third in the away, but um, – mm-hmm. The home kit, first and foremost, because you've got to get that right, um, sure. looks like it's a nice fabric. Um, yeah, well, a little bit of detail in there as well, like sort of within the kit. I've noticed that uh, with a lot of kits this year uh, in the A-League or otherwise that lots of kits are getting a little bit of texture in them as well, which is, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate a little bit of texture. Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, enjoying that. Um, did uh, particularly like the, um, there's a lot of, uh, pinstripe across the the league, uh, both of Newcastle's kits. Obviously, the cheeseburger kits got some uh, got some pinstripe, some horizontal spin, uh, pinstripe mm. uh, in it in uh, Adelaide, uh, and then um, Melbourne City's third kit, the red and white one, uh, predominantly white but with red pinstripes. I think that's pretty nice too. Um, 
So, yeah, and also I guess we, we also did get our first glimpses of, uh, although not on, a, on an actual human, we did get our first glimpse of MacArthur Bulls' jersey. And um, I, I like that, that bull motif. Like that, You can stuff that up still, um, but they seem to have uh, done a pretty decent job with that so far. Um, Lee Broxham Facts uh, wants to know uh, if the, first, the, the team uh, who first releases a long-sleeve kit should win, just the league. I am... Um... I'm not going to argue with that because I love a good long sleeve <laughs> number. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a bit of a sucker for the long sleeve kit uh, when done properly. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't argue with that rationale. I think that's a fantastic call. It would definitely make the, the season a lot safer in this COVID uh, environment as well. Uh, he's got a follow-up question, which is, uh, if More Than Game was a shirt front sponsor, which kit would it suit the most or least, objectively speaking? Well, uh, having recently found a, um, a, a cut and paste app that manages to superimpose images onto other images, which is really something <laughs> I've been looking for for some time, Tommy, um, having recently found that and then deciding to utilize it in our uh, more than a game group chat, um, superimposing, superimposing more than a game onto the Crystal, uh, well, did I say Crystal Palace? I meant Chelsea. Um, <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was the perfect perfect kit, kit for our uh, current um, logo but I mean I guess there's there's different opinions on that um, some people thought it was disgusting um, you Mate, know I, I, look uh, I, I went for a I, for lunch today I had a, a big bowl of laksa and then at three o'clock I went for a run um, really regretting it but um, that kit and uh, more than a game combo made me feel worse than I did after <laughs> running two hours after a massive laksa <laughs> Uh, for me, I thought um, uh, maybe more than a game would look good on the the Central Coast. I mean, um, the Central Coast it doesn't seem to matter which manager that they or which players they bring in, they're still terrible. So thought maybe that would be like a uh, a good fit for more than a game, um, and that was all I had. But yeah, <laughs> so uh, or I'm sorry, mate. I was just going to say we, we, we're not we're not a condiment, but um, we can certainly. <laughs> offer great exposure to soccer Twitter. Oh, dear. All right. Uh, the other piece of uh, – uh, there were a couple of other pieces of football news in the last 24 hours. First one was uh, Ned Stark and David Bowie's uh, love child, Tony Gustafsson, uh, has been appointed the Matildas coach for the next four years. That obviously takes the Matildas uh, through the 2023 World Cup uh, that Australia is hosting with New Zealand. Uh, Tony is a, a former U.S. Uh, women's national team assistant um, and there seems to be generally positive feedback from uh, from the football community and media in Australia. Um, I say that because I don't know a hell of a lot about him. Um, it's uh, pretty positive, I guess, that generally speaking, there is there doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of negative press about this decision or this appointment. So, um, so that's good. The other the other good bit about this was that um, Lucas Neal he made an appearance at the um, at the announcement as well. And I mean, Lucas Neal has pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth in the last six six maybe seven years. Um, I heard he went bankrupt about four years ago in the UK. And and uh, curiously, Jesse, you'd be uh, interested enough to know that apparently his son plays for the um, Liverpool Academy at the moment. So, so there's also that. Mm. So just uh, so much news coming out of the UK today. Um, moving on, though, um, this afternoon and, and even this evening, I think uh, one of the final awards was only announced about half an hour ago, was the PFA Awards were were. Uh, um, were announced and there's no actual awards night so um, they had to basically announce the awards on Twitter um, they, they did do it quite well they got um, false nine uh, involved and um, released a, a few um, nicely nicely worked little um, uh, I was gonna say pictures but not quite um, to go along with the the announcements and I thought that was that was a, a nice sort of way of getting around the the awkwardness of doing an awards night without actually having an awards night mm. um the uh the successful uh, awardees were uh, Libby Kakachi won the the young uh, male footballer of the year the Harry Kuehl uh, medal so that's obviously great for him um and he's just killing it overseas now um in the uh, in the Belgian league after a couple of games um, young footballer, a uh, young female footballer of the year was Ellie Carpenter. Probably no surprises there. Um, male footballer of the year was Matty Ryan. Um, 
little bit surprised, I guess, I thought. I thought um, Ta- uh, Adam Taggart might have been a decent shout there after winning the Golden Boot in Korea. But obviously, Matty Ryan, is he, he's the big Australian, I guess, at the moment, um, uh, overseas and, uh, and here in Australia. And the female footballer of the year was, who do you reckon it was? Jesse? Well, I, you know, the the the, the most market- for you. I'll make it easier most- for you. These, these were the nominees: uh, Emily Van Egbond, uh, Steph Catley, and Sam Kerr. Well, I would have said Sam Kerr, um, but um, I have a funny feeling it might have been Catley. You're you're right, mate. Um, which I got to say was a bit of a surprise to me. Um, but you know, it's um, these are these are player voted, um, and that's that's the way the, the cookie crumbled at the end of the day. So, look, wow. pretty amazing for Steph Catley. Obviously, she's gone over to the UK with uh, Sam. Um, they're at uh, Chelsea and and Arsenal respectively. But um, obviously, great for Steph to win that award as well. Um, yeah. So um, we'll move on to onto the Premier League now, though. Um, the six games that we're going to be covering, some in a little bit more detail than others. Um, a couple of pretty wild results that we're that we're going to cover first up, which is really the catalyst for us uh, doing the pod. Um, first one was um, West Ham versus Wolves. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do that in one second. Um, but no, first one is Manchester City losing 5-2 to Leicester. Um, Jesse, be- before we go into, I guess, the, the run-through of the match, this is um, what you said Um for your prediction, uh, you said that Men City would win two nil, uh, but it wouldn't be a blowout. Yeah, and and I <laughs> ate a huge piece of humble pie. Um, I, it, if there's one thing that I'm certainly shit at, that's tipping, and uh, that will continue, I'm sure, for the rest of the season. Yeah, it, to obviously be honest, you didn't I, see it coming, but but you feel like you should have seen it coming. Well, it's funny because in hindsight, it, it's funny because not to bring all all things back to FPL, but um, I was one of the unfortunate bastards who uh, got rid of Vardy this week. And um, it wasn't because it was a, a necessity. I didn't really have to, but I actually just thought that Kane might do better in his fixture. And I woke up in the morning and, and watched the replay and just thought, well, this is, uh, this is how, it hap- how it happens in FPL. Sometimes you win it and sometimes you don't. But I just the, the, the rationale for that decision was that I thought Vardy might score a penalty or something, but I didn't think that he would like that, that anything like that was going to happen. And, um, I think we all knew that City had some vulnerabilities in the sense that they'd had a couple of key players out and mm. their front line had to sort of adjust to maybe just stealing through the middle, which isn't his best position. But did anyone predict that they were going to get five put past them? I mean, that's a mentality issue that I guess we just couldn't see at the Wolves game. So there was no warnings there from the Wolves game to indicate that that was going to happen. It was really out of the blue. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about I think Wolves because I think they're they're useful for the for the following game when we talk a little bit about um, about West Ham and, and that game against City. Um, but uh, your point about uh, Vardy though, like I mean, he's got form of of scoring against City. He's um he's mm-hmm. only one of two. Uh, he's the only player that's ever scored a league hat trick against um against Pep, and now he's done it twice. Um, mm-hmm. so like I guess um Leicester like they they really channeled um twenty fifteen sixteen um. Era Leicester City on on uh, Monday night, and they they did it spectacularly. Uh, obviously, there were three penalties, but still, they still scored two goals from open play. So, obviously, they were they were no numpties, um, even taking out the um, the the three penalties. Um, but look, I guess it was it's it's true. Um, uh, Pep form to to uh, concede five that goals and then want to go out and then spend another sixty five million pounds uh, straight away, isn't it, Jesse? Yeah, and why not cherry pick uh, out of the great uh, Portuguese league? Um, mm. Did, were you aware that Ruben Diaz is twenty-one? I didn't realize he was so young. I didn't realize he was so young. Obviously, I was familiar with him with the um, with the Portuguese setup and and, mm. and Benfica, but uh, no, I didn't realize he was that young. Um, it's in- name- interesting. Mm. Sorry, keep going. Mate. Oh, it's interesting because Portugal have have had quite a few quite old centre backs um, with Pep and a couple others there um, in recent times. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that he's is so young. I I didn't realise either. Yeah, so that, that's kind of caught me by surprise a little bit that um, he's brought in such a young defender, and obviously um, Otamendi's gone the opposite way to to Benfica as well after he was sort of shopped around a little bit, and that sort of solves one problem now that they've uh, they've got another central defender in and, and it looks like Eric Garcia is going to be leaving as well. Um, although 
probably isn't too popular around Manchester at the moment anyway after a pretty terrible performance anyway. Um, it, um, it, I have to say, though, although um, uh, Ruben Diaz, um, his transfer now brings Pep spending uh, on defenders at City to £408 million, pounds, which is like the, the – it's not even the size of a small country. It is like a small country these days. Um, he um, – Pep seems to still have, I guess, a problem, I guess, with that squad in terms of leadership. And and Ruben Diaz, whilst he's he's a he's a player that's got a lot of potential, he's still very young, still very inexperienced. And and I just wonder if we're going to be here in twelve months' time talking about City's inability to, I guess, defend against the not not necessarily the counter, but when teams are able to play through that that counter press and they get onto their back four, and we're saying. Oh yeah, who's Pep going to go out and spend 50, 60 million pounds on again? Like I just feel like this is I feel like we've been here before. Well, I think um you know, this is a great segue to the fact that uh we just recently bought a Koala mattress and um <laughs> if, if you think if you compare um Ruben uh, Dias to a, a ko- Koala mattress, um well, that's what Pep's hoping he's going to be. Um he he th- he thinks he's upgraded. And he sent the old mattress, the one that they've got a few years out of, but is now a piece of shit, uh, Indy, the other way. Um, so he's essentially moved that problem and replaced it with a solution. But I guess the question is, is Dish going to become that Koala mattress? Or is he going to be uh, essentially just a, a run-of-the-mill, over, overpriced uh, city player? That'll be the, the question ahead of us. But I, I think as far as um, his qualities and his youth, I mean, it, it's good to see a young defender come in because it's always great to see especially that um, so quickly to get promoted into a Premier League position. But the issue is with some of these teams is they don't have kind of a, a rock-solid centre-back already there to just mm. pair them with. I mean, I suppose City will say that's Laporte, but Laporte's injured so much that he can't – you can't sort of – I mean, last season, for example, Van Dyke started, I think, every game. Mm, exactly. um, now, now, Laporte, like, I think we'd all – want him to try and start every game because he's a great player, but he, he, he hasn't been able to demonstrate uh, his um, his body hasn't been able to handle a long run of games. So mm-hmm. if you can't rely on him to be your kind of like point of reference for these other centre backs to come in, that puts all the pressure on, on Diaz and, um, and I guess Nathan Ake and stuff like that. So it's, I'm a bit concerned about the pressure. It's kind of like Tiago Silva, but at complete other end of the age spectrum, lots of pressure and scrutiny. Um, Lots of pressure on. indeed. Yeah, and, and I guess I wonder if it's even a little bit unfair on, on Ruben Diaz. Like he's kind of going to be stepping into into a squad where like the defense is almost under a little bit of pressure straight up. Um, we talked a little bit about Pep and, and City, I guess, but look, should we be putting some respect on Brendan Rodgers' name uh, after this result? Yeah, like because I, I think I was looking at the formation um, uh, early in the week and I'm pretty sure he had Barnes and Vardy on either side um, with, uh, mm. was it Pratt? Um, Who's he was in the middle, like in the middle, sort of pinning the balls out to them, and yeah, um, yeah that was really interesting because I, I don't think I've actually seen him. I mean, maybe I just haven't watched enough Leicester City, but I don't think I've seen that uh, that strategy before. And and it just it was a strategic win. It's like we 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 talk about it a little bit with managers and formations and things like that. And sometimes it's a bit of a non-event, but this was a genuine win for Rogers because he clearly meticulously planned this out. Um, and- and not only that, I think that's that's one, I guess, key part to 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 their strategy and and the effectiveness of it. But also, like they they basically took a leaf out of uh, Rafa Benitez's book as well and said, "All right, well, we think we're good, but we're not quite good enough to be able to go toe to toe on sort of by playing sort of a a high press uh, against City." And said, "All right, okay, all right, we're we're going to sit back, we're going to play five at the back and." Whilst it was a genuine five at the back, sort of uh, defensively, you saw Castagna. He got forward and provided uh, the I think it was the second goal for, um, or the third goal, I think. Sorry for for Vardy. So um, it was it was quite defensive without the ball and very very compact. But you saw that um, I guess um, what was his name James Justin and uh, uh, and Castagna. They they both were very effective going forward as well. Well, so, that um, five that five man. Um, like that's that's a very much a, a wolves um, kind of uh, mm. out of their playbook, and you you have to wonder how much Rogers has sort of looked at the way that Wolves has managed to affect City. I mean, I know that the recent result was a bit poor from Wolves, but previous to that, they've been kind of been the thorn 
in city side. So maybe the formation choice was was kind of based on that as well. Well, I think it shows that like you're starting to see a little bit of a formula for how to play against Pep. And obviously, you, you need a little bit of luck. You, you need to have uh, some of them to have their ha- have an off day. You, you need to have a little bit of luck with like the ball sort of popping up to the goalkeeper or at, um, at at the right times and stuff like that. And, and your defenders all need to play well. Your midfielders need to press and and be all their game as well. But you, you see, like Pep's teams, they they now get beaten. I'm going to say routinely. Um, the same way by the same types of teams and and teams that try to do something a little bit different they just get tonked i guess and um but like i was saying you, you still need plenty of luck to be able to you know, go on against um this city side well think about it the, the, the times in city's history where they've managed to come back from a a, a goal down aguero at burnley um not last season but the season before crucial goal uh, aguero yeah against um, Queen's Park Rangers, crucial goal. Uh, and he also scored one, um, uh, I can't remember if it was against Brighton, um, to, to, to pull it back in that final day, uh, the season before last as well. So they've actually had a few players that have managed to pull games back, but generally speaking, when City have it their own way, they just annihilate teams in the first 20 minutes and then they don't have to worry about coming back. And I guess the question I have is, how much resilience is in that team? And you talked about leaders. Um, hmm. I, I'm not going to compare everything to Liverpool because we shouldn't, but I guess the re- reason why I do is because it's obviously City's biggest rival. And one of the things about Liverpool is that if you didn't have Henderson there one week, which we didn't this week, uh, just been, then you replace that person with Van Dyke, or you replace that leader with Milner. You have like three or four players that you can say that person could be yeah. captain if that person's not um, on the pitch. City, like... That was a real concern. Like they've, th- as you said earlier, they've thrown a lot of money at the squad, but have they bought enough leaders? And and company leaving was more than just a centre back problem. It was it was a a talisman. Not only that, like you, you look at Kevin De Bruyne and he looks like one of the sort of almost like he looks like the only senior player out there now. You've got um obviously the team is stacked with talent, um mm. but but Kevin De Bruyne looks like the sole leader out there, and it's a very sort of. I'm not sure of the right word of how, how to describe them, but um, I mean, with David Silva leaving and company leaving, like this is this is a, a bit of an undercooked team, I think now. Like it's it's really just Kevin De Bruyne and like Aguero has never really, he's always been someone that sort of leads by example. He's not not that sort of big booming personality, I guess. And um, yeah, I, I think um, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a disappointing season for for Man City moving forward. I think they're still going to be uh, very good on their day, and but. I think they're starting to look like they, they may not necessarily be as, as competitive as we maybe once thought. I don't know. That's obviously after two games, so I'll, I'm sure I'll be eating my words in about two or three weeks. But <laughs> look, um, uh, moving on, though, to uh, obviously, like I was saying a little bit earlier, the big big result of the round. In fact, we put this one to um, the More Than a Game uh, Twitter followers and we asked what was the most surprising result, uh, whether West Ham beating Wolves or City losing to Leicester uh, was the bigger result. And actually, 51% of the our followers thought that um, West Ham beating Wolves was actually a more surprising result. So so there you go. So um, And look, Scotty and I were pretty pessimistic about West Ham's chances as well on, on uh, Sunday when we were recording the pod as well so um scotty actually predicted predicted wolves to win 2-1 um but i don't think anyone even even the most optimistic of west ham supporters would have expected west ham to just roll away with it and win 4-0 um just we mentioned a little bit uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier about how city looked pretty comfortable against wolves but i, I mean we, we were just sort of saying how like city aren't quite there at the moment um I think Wolves really must have looked City really must have made City look really good the week before because I mean I mean Wolves are so underdone, aren't they? Yeah, I'm not really sure how to. to I think I look at that Wolves team and it's, they've had a little bit of disruption with with Doherty going, but apart from that, like I, I don't really understand why it's been a sluggish start for them. And um, I mean, I guess a lot of it can be a bit of confidence has been knocked out of them after the City game to start. Not a good way to start the season. Um, but, I mean, they took that game to relatively to the late stages. City didn't get the sort of cream, um, the third goal, I think it was, until the very end. Um, so they still showed some resilience, but they didn't show resilience at West Ham. And they, they really got bulldozed in the end and didn't even register a goal. 
um, and this is meant to be one of the best defences in the league. In fact, it was it was kind of being talked about as the best defence in the league. Um, so, yeah, really, really concerning. Um, the thing is for them is that next week they've got Fulham and, uh, you know, two form, li- two form lines that haven't been particularly good. And I think all of us expect Wolves to bite back and, and really uh, destroy Fulham. But, I mean, Fulham... Uh, are pretty embarrassed at the moment with their own performances. So, what do you what do you think about Wolves? Do we think that they're going to be able to bounce back? It's the perfect fixture to do it if they that, are going to do that, it. That is a very good shout, you know, um, about maybe Fulham thinking that they can um, see off this this Wolves side at the moment. Because I mean, this will now, I guess, be Wolves's what third third game and and Fulham's fourth. So, um, you, you would think that Wolves would be would be be coming up to up to speed by now. But I mean, Fulham, like we, we might see that with a couple of extra games under their belt, this could be a really good game for them. Um, and, and I think this will be Fulham will see this as a real chance for them. Um, to I guess uh, to start their season uh, belatedly um, a little bit, um, but look enough about Fulham like they're they're bullshit and they're boring and, and no one cares about them anyway. More about West Ham, mate. Um, <laughs> I've I've got to say this was probably one of the best West Ham performances like I've seen for a long time. I actually I actually woke up um, at halftime. It, it showed here in Oz what it uh, I think it was four o'clock kickoff, and I, I rolled over and uh, at about five o'clock and saw the saw the time, checked the score, and went, "All right, I'll, I'll get up and I'll watch the second half." And I, I was pretty pessimistic. I thought, "Oh, West Ham, like we, I think we're we're one of the the worst teams in terms of holding on to a result, even if we score first. And I thought, "Oh yeah, look, I'm I'm going to get up and I'm probably probably going to concede and I'm going to be disappointed and it's going to ruin my Monday." But um, to get up and and see a really good West Ham performance and and West Ham to score three goals in the second. Second half was was really surprising. Um, I thought um, the the partnership of Suchek and Rice is really really coming along nicely, and um, I, I guess they're two players that are both um, uh, really commanding physically, and they they both want to win a header. They they're both good in the tackle, both efficient with possession, and um, they they're letting players like Bowen and Fornells just kind of do their thing and um, and making and creating chances. I guess for for Antonio as well, who probably a little bit unlucky not to not to get on the score sheet himself in this one as well so um obviously uh jared bowen scored two goals but look i want to give a bit of a shout out to, to four nails he was he was one of my boys last season he had a pretty disappointing season but um he's a very divisive figure he uh he he seems to there are two two schools of thought one is that like he's he's um He's too slight, doesn't work hard enough, not good enough on the ball, gives away the ball too easily. Um, and then there's another school of thought that he's he's actually a, a very handy technical player and he's he's not a left midfielder, he's a central midfielder and, and playing him out on the left is really tough on him. But um, I, I thought um, Fornells is really growing into the league very well and I, I think he's still only 22, 23. So um, good signs, I think, for for the next couple of years, I think, we're uh, for Fornells at West Ham, I think. So, um was there anything else that that stood out for you with uh, with this one, Jesse? Well, I just imagine that there were a lot of people woken up on Ligon Street um, the other day, uh, <laughs> you know, six o'clock in the morning or something, and and you're probably heel clicking your way down the feet uh, down the street, sorry, to um, to grab a coffee and uh, maybe a bit of a whistling going on. I'm sure you were in a very buoyant mood after that performance, Tommy, and 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 well earned. Let's be honest here, because I mean, apart from some lovely moments post lockdown. Um, uh, sorry, we'll post uh, the, the reopening at the restart um, and Antonio's four-goal haul and all that sort of stuff. Have you really seen any decent, anything decent out of West Ham for a while? It's been a pretty grim time. Um, you know, the pod on the weekend uh, definitely felt like um, we were reading a bit of a eulogy about West Ham Football Club. So mm. great, to, great to see you, uh, you know, picked up about <laughs> their performance again. And to be honest... Maybe uh, David Moy should manage from um, Zoom, uh, manage from home in his living room every week. I mean, it seems to work. I think there were there were plenty of people that were watching that game, thinking, oh, plenty plenty of people who are managers in their day job, thinking, oh, geez, I just wish I could get a tune out of my team like like that while I'm working from home. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, alrighty. Um, uh, we'll move on to, to from my team to your team, Jesse, uh, on to Liverpool hosting Arsenal. And um, this was arguably might have been maybe the, the pick of the, the fixtures um, in terms of uh, two teams that, that look like they're in good form. And uh, there's been plenty of optimism around both clubs, I guess, uh, at the beginning of this season. Um, but it 
didn't really play out that way. And, and whilst there's been plenty of optimism about Arsenal's season, they, they um, I guess, in, in some ways sort of struggled to lay a glove on on, on Liverpool a little bit. Um, whilst they were in the game, I think um, the, the, the score finished 3-1 and I think a lot of people would say that was probably a pretty fair um, recollection of the match. Yeah, it was. It was. Like, I mean, even the most sort of dogged Arsenal supporter will say that they, I mean, apart from um, Lacazette having a decent chance to um, to equalise in the second half, um, they, it would have been an opportunist draw or an opportunist victory for Arsenal. It wouldn't be based on them dominating the, the ball and possession. And I'm not one of those people that thinks that you need to dominate possession to win a game. Um, but there was more than there was more than just that with Liverpool's performance. Um Whenever Arsenal were, pre- uh, were pressing them, you had both Van Dijk and Gomez who could play these long diagonals to Salah and Mane. Mane had one of his best games so far, and he just doesn't mm-hmm. seem just—he never seems to have a drop in form. He—he he, he was just brilliant. Um, he he loves fine- playing big teams, doesn't he? He just he eats does. them up. He does. And finally, Trent uh, started to click back into gear a little bit. He was a little bit s- slow in the first two um, games, but he was back and. I think mentality-wise, um, I was impressed with Robertson considering you know, he had made such a howler and then he goes back down the other end and scores himself. Um, so I think this is exhibiting a lot of um, uh, traits that you only get from winning um, and winning a lot. Um, and so I was pretty pleased with the response to going down. Uh, from the Arsenal perspective, uh, considering how early it is in the rain uh, with Arteta, it's, it, it is, I mean, it is still relatively early. Um, it's He's made a job for, for, for a year yet. Exactly. So for, for, with the squad he has, uh, I mean, I've, I've actually compared them to Liverpool before because of the fact that they feel like a Liverpool a few years ago where mm-hmm. they were able to beat anybody um, on their day, but at the same time, they, they're still building. They're still sort of getting their squad right. And Arteta has to work with the combination of great talent and Deadwood in the same squad. Um, So it's going to take a couple of seasons to flush out that Deadwood. So that will mean that there will be the odd shocking performance, but things are still looking good for them. Uh, And they did try something a bit different. Whereas Chelsea just sat back. Whenever you talk about Arsenal now, I'm going to be thinking about the, um, the HBO drama from the early 2000s Deadwood now. Well, I mean, if, whatever you want to associate with uh, Arsenal, um, that's that's your choice, mate. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. <laughs> but what I will say is that they have this, um, they obviously have a, a bit of a point of difference because, uh, you know, Chelsea decided they were just going to sit back and just sort of block it out for the red card. Arsenal also sat back, but they had this idea that they were going to try and beat the offside trap. And most of the time it didn't work, except for that time that Lacazette got through and there was a, a good opportunity. So, they look like the kind of team that have more resilience than they did before. They used to be a bit of a walkover, um, and now they actually are showing a lot of backbone. So plenty of good signs for them. But um, it's just one of those things where I always felt if we turned up and played um, our football, we would we would overcome them. And I think it was just the intensity of the press that eventually wore them out. They looked like they were absolutely knackered in the last fifteen minutes. And and mate, I think that's a that's a good point. Um, I asked uh, Killian what he, his thoughts were on the game, and um, particularly asked him about the um, the selection of uh, uh, Gabriel. Uh, excuse pronunciation. Uh, uh, what is he? Maga Magalia. Yep, Gabriel. And he. Uh, <laughs> Magaliash. I think it is. I think you. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, asked about his uh, him being dropped and and David Luiz being selected instead, and he said that um, he thought David Luiz had a good game, um, but he seemed very uncomfortable when under pressure from Liverpool's press. Um, he also said that um, David Luiz might be a better passer who can get out of tight spot, um, but he was still a little bit disappointing with the last uh, the last goal with that defensive header, which went straight to Jota for a um, for a perfect place for his shot. Um, he did also say, and I thought this was interesting because this sort of played into like some of the reasons for why um, Arteta might have uh, dropped Gabriel. Um, and he said that um, he thought uh, Arteta might be trying to ease Gabriel into life in the Prem, especially as his first two fixtures for Arsenal were pretty easy on paper. Uh, and then you get to uh, to Liverpool, and obviously that's a di- totally different kettle of fish um, in comparison to to Liverpool. Uh, sorry, to um, Fulham and, and West Ham. So. Um, Interesting signs ahead, and I guess that's—I think that's actually a pretty smart man, man management from um, uh, from Arteta to to decide to um, not play him in in that big match um, in, in his third game for for Arsenal, and and that way 
like we've seen that before where you have new players and and they they look good and then into their third or fourth game and then they they make a bad mistake or something like that in a big match and then all of a sudden sort of the wheels start to come off so um Gabriel I think he's only what 24 so I think that's um that's a good move by Arteta and maybe that was an indication of what he actually thought of, about um Arsenal chance Arsenal's chances heading into that game um also asked Killian about whether or not the result um, sort of was a bit of a setback in terms of his enthusiasm. He said it was uh, good to get these games out of the way so that they uh, they know where Arsenal's level is at the moment. Um, Arsenal were better side, but he was still encouraged by what Arteta is building. And whilst uh, we, Arsenal, were outplayed for most of the match, we hung out and nearly should have made it 2-2. Two, two. Um, good character shown and positive signs. So um, it's interesting take, I guess, from, from Killian that um, still plenty of optimism um, around the Emirates at the moment. Um, there's one final thing ar- around this match, and it didn't actually happen in the match. It actually happened afterwards, which was... Um, uh, Jesse, what did you make of uh, Roy Keane's post-match comments and and Klopp's Klopp's aggressive uh, counter press? <laughs> yeah, it seemed like it was blown a little bit out of proportion. I mean, Klopp Klopp heard what he'd said on the speaker and then caught him out. And I, I mean, I just I just enjoyed it, even though um, I think you know when you when you actually read it, like when you actually saw what Keane said, he didn't say anything that was that. Um, uh, he, he is known for his shithousery, but he wasn't actually winding anyone up at that. Um, but it's just the fact that Klopp caught that little part of conversation and took offence. Um, funny on two levels. Funny because sometimes Klopp misunderstands things and, and, and sort of gets really um, prickly. But also funny because uh, Keane is just... No one ever says... No one ever calls Keane out on anything. Keane just says whatever <laughs> he wants and everyone just sort of goes, okay. And um, it was just really funny. Like I've never actually seen Keane look like that, where he just looks so uncomfortable. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Interesting dynamic. They, they should have called it uh, Gegenpresser. Gegenpresser. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Sorry, I was just seeing, seeing Sal popping up on the chat there. Yeah, so... Um... Look, before we move on, uh, Superfan Sal, he's, he's throwing out um, the big game already. He's saying that um, Jesse and, and Sal should have a gentleman's bet next time Arsenal play Liverpool. Um, Jesse, I reckon you'd be up for that, wouldn't you? Well, next time's at the uh, Emirates Stadium, so that's um, a very convenient uh, time to do it, Sal. So uh, we'll see how the season unfolds. <laughs> see if uh, we're still playing by that point with uh, with all the all the players dropping life flies with coronavirus. Mm. Um. Another thing that's a bit like a virus at the moment is uh, the number of handball decisions and penalties that are floating around the league. Um, I'll tell you what, um, uh, to be honest, uh, Jesse, uh, there's not much I think to, to talk about with this uh, Newcastle Spurs game, but um, pretty much the only thing that anyone is talking about is um, that uh, handball at, at the end by Eric Dyer, which led to the penalty in what the 97th minute. So, um, look, I've heard, um, heard this referred to as... Uh, it's ruining the game, and or some some people have said I can't watch it as in the Premier League uh, anymore. Whilst um, there's these uh, shocking penalties, and I think um, a lot of people would agree that they're, they're a little bit tough to watch um, and, and uh, so forth. But still, you've, you've got to consider it a little bit hysterical. I think. Um, wh- what did you make of? I guess not just this penalty, but um, I guess all of these penalties uh, and, and the handball rule. Well, it, it's all fun and games until it happens to your team, I think, is the, the general trend here. I think people sort of have a wee chuckle when it happens to other teams, but as soon as it happens to your team, um, it it gets serious and you think, well, we just got robbed of a, a point or a win. Um, mm. We talked about this uh, in the first part of this um, pod when we were looking at the Brighton-Manchester uh, United game. And, you know, even then, and that was just a couple of... Um, uh, we didn't have a lot of data to go on, but we had a couple of games which showed that this was becoming a problem. Um, the Palace-Everton um, game as well, of course. And after that, subsequently, since our last pod, there's been even more uh, drama. And I just think it's incredible. It was one game week, and there was a number of times where it came up. Um, I don't know if it was all just coincidence, but um, the Newcastle game was another one where it will be debated to the end of the day. Um, I sort of stand by what I said in the last pod where I feel... It's just too more. It's just too brutal um, to award a penalty for an accidental handball. Um, and I think S- Scott had it right when he said it depends if it's accidental or not. And that's obviously the ref's um, interpretation. But it's just for me, it's too brutal a punishment. It's the difference between losing the game in some cases 
completely changing your strategy, parking the bus. It's just, for me, there's, too, there's so much money in the Premier League as well, people getting promoted, relegated. It's just, it can't be just down to something that's so trivial. The, the stakes have become... The, the stakes yeah. have become so high, I guess, that like there's such a people are holding on so tight to every decision need to be needing to be correct. Um, that it, it's almost, I guess, um, so I did see on on the socials in the last couple of days about a, a reference back to to Ireland and that uh, World Cup qualifier and 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 whilst it, this is we're not talking about qualifiers for the World Cup, the the stakes are equally high uh, every week in in the Premier League because there's so much money at stake and especially if you're if you're like if your team is trying to make it into the Premier League, uh, sorry, into the uh, the Champions League, huge amounts of money there uh, on offer. But if you're a team that's fighting to stay in the division. Then obviously you, you're scrapping for every bloody point, and so mm. like the the stakes are so high that um, you you can't just say you can't just shrug your shoulders and say oh well I guess we we didn't get the rub of the green this week because it, in some cases like we, we've seen with the likes of Sunderland and and Pompey go down and go down and on and on and on into other divisions, but like it can lead to like the death of your club. So it, it really is. Um, it really is, I guess. Um, uh, it's a strange time, I guess, for football in general with regards to this. I'd be, um, I'd be happy with just an indirect free kick. I mean, I mean, I might end up saying this a million times this season, and I don't, I don't think they'll change the rule. But an indirect free kick for an accidental handball, at least the defending team gets an opportunity to put up some kind of wall and, and make it a bit more difficult. Because a penalty is just like, you know, you could two foot a bloke in the box, and it's the same punishment. For an accidental handball, doesn't make sense right. to me. I think I think that's a great a great shout uh, shout uh, to to roll out that uh, that idea again of of suggesting that it becomes a, an indirect um, indirect free kick for for handball on the box. I think that's a great idea. Um, it solve uh, probably two birds with one stone. I think. Um, moving on though to uh, to the Yorkshire Derby or or the Pie Derby as uh, as it's been dubbed, um, Jesse, you said that um, Sheffield United would win this one and. Uh, They'd be too desperate for the win, and yeah, it's another another great another pick. Prediction. Yeah, <laughs> my opponent in FPL had Bamford as captain, and uh, I was watching to the end. I was just like, as long as Bamford doesn't score here, that'd be nice. And um, <laughs> he scored with about three minutes to go. Fantastic. <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah this this was actually I, I saw the the first half of this live, and obviously we were getting um, we we're getting demos. Um, Demo's reactions live in the group as well, and th- this was a pretty interesting game. This was a lot of fun, I thought, and um, obviously we we had overlapping centre backs versus Bielsa Ball, and and both teams were really going for it. I thought, um, even though sort of Sheffield United can can maybe play a little bit defensive sometimes with with three or, or five at the back. Some of their interplay, I thought, through the middle and and even around like that, um, uh, around the Leeds box uh, against Leeds's press, I thought was was really fun to watch. Um, but did you uh, did you think that Leeds were Leeds were deserving of uh, of a one 0 win? I don't know. Like over maybe maybe the fact that they they really pushed and created chances in the second half. But I don't know. I, I would have been probably content with that game finishing zero zero with a draw. Um, I, I, I thought that both teams had a go, but they kind of cancelled each other out. Um, one of the comments Damo was saying was that um, Wilder did a good job against Bielsa. And I, I guess, you know, regardless of the result, you can't really argue with that. I mean, apart from a really good opportunist goal, um, Sheffield seemed to keep Leeds relatively quiet. So uh, I think a, a good standout for Leeds was Dallas. I thought Dallas did a great job uh, progressing forward. Um, we talk a lot about Aileen, but um, uh, it was really Im- impressive to see Dallas basically playing in between a, a left wing back and a left uh, centre mid. He kind of just kept floating between the two roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a bit of a standout for me. Harrison, again, impressed. Um, I think Harrison missed the last game, so he sort of came back and picked up where he left off against Liverpool. Um, mm-hmm. But on the Sheffield United side, yeah, I think um, I think a couple of the injuries are starting to show um, defensively, and, and that's, you know, it, it, it always sucks to see a team that hasn't got their best team out on the pitch, and it may well be like that for uh, several, several weeks for Sheffield. So they have, only have a few days... Uh, left in the transfer window to try and um, remedy that if they're going to get anyone in. Yeah, I mean, they, they were so fortunate with injuries last season. Uh, it's sort of now in twinks and roundabouts, they're almost, almost getting punished for the last season's good luck. Um, so kind of feel for them a little bit. Um, they were a little bit unlucky as well to, to not go up 1-0 um, after Lord Lundstrom 
or the footballer formerly known as Lord Lundstrom, uh, he had a, a really good chance saved by by Meslier. And I don't know about you, Jesse, and and this will probably this is probably a little bit over the top, but um, this save reminded well not just this save, but Meslier reminds me a little bit of uh, early days De Gea, where he's like this sort of this skinny, lanky, young-looking foreign goalkeeper who looks like he's got no no. No reason whatsoever to be playing in the Premier League, but he he holds his own and he, he does well. And and this that save in particular for me, that was, that was a really strong save, which Bolard, I guess, sort of um, his physical appearance. Let's let's say let's call it that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was it was a really really big save, and obviously when you look at the context of the result, a huge save. Yeah. yeah, well, I think uh, I think if if Sheffield United go up one uh, nil at that point, they've got probably half the game half the game to be played. But but not only that, I think Sheffield United might have changed their changed their approach as well. And I mean, it, it changes the game dramatically. I think once one of the teams changes their changes their approach as well. The, the forgotten part about that as well, I just add, is that the lead up to that was beautiful. It, it was such a well worked um, lead up mm. from Sheffield United that they constructed it beautifully. And it was just like at the time, it wasn't just the fact that it was a great save. It was just that how did they deny them that beautiful goal? It was going to be a great goal. So, yeah. Rocked. It was one of those ones where you, you want it to be a goal just because the the, the lead-up play was so good. Yeah. Um, one of the other promoted teams, though, and we've kind of touched upon Fulham a little bit already, uh, Fulham got tonked again, 3-0, this time by Aston Villa. And... Um, Aston Villa fans, they'd be very happy. They kept their second consecutive clean sheet uh, under uh, Emi Martinez, uh, so that's that's great for them. Uh, I think it's their first time uh, in four years that they've kept back-to-back clean sheets in the Premier League, so obviously pretty fantastic result for them. Um, goals from Jack Ulish, Connor Hurahan, and Tyrone Mings uh, were enough for Villa to get all three points, um, and I guess it was, a, it was another pretty... Uh, I guess ordinary drab performance from Fulham to the point where um, Fulham chairman Tony Khan posted on Twitter afterwards. He said, uh, "I apologise to the Fulham supporters for our performance tonight. We've uh, we've looked at two centre backs since Wembley. I'm sorry we haven't yet. Uh, as as two got COVID. Mm. Sorry, That's right. I read reasons. that tweet. I'm sorry we haven't yet. As two got COVID and we lost a free we thought was close. Plus another issue with a fourth centre back. I promise players in plus better efforts from this squad. I should and will apologise repeatedly for that uh, performance. I'm sorry, everybody. We all need to do a better job. Everybody at the club for the past year worked really hard to get the team up, and now we need to work significantly harder to stay up. I promise better efforts uh, than today. So obviously, uh, not just. Uh, it's it's not just I guess the footballing world that's starting to notice that some of the performances from Fulham aren't good enough. And look, I guess um, whilst uh, so far I think a lot of people would have said that that West Brom and Fulham were going to struggle. Obviously, this weekend we saw we saw West Brom put in a pretty decent performance against um, big spending Chelsea. But I mean, this this Fulham scene, Fulham team, like it looks pretty grim, I guess, for them at the moment. And um, yeah, it's hard to see where they're going to get points from. But I mean, if, if we had an own goal, like if we were doing own goals tonight, I would have put that directly as an own goal. Like, why is the is it the sporting director? What why is he coming out and 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 saying that with only a few games gone? I mean, if, if we're talking about game week nine or game week hmm. ten, and you've just had a shocker at home, and you, you know we've we've given Scott Parker a decent run. Um, and, and chance to sort of remedy things, then maybe it's a different conversation. But what is? How does this actually help? Man, it's, like it's, you know, it's West Ham areas for like because he's not even the sporting director. He's the he's the chairman. He's the owner. Oh, and see, that's for, that's I didn't it's even worse. That. That's that's just unbelievable because it's just yeah. And the way he was speaking, it's like he was it, the, he it's like he was just on the phone to the manager, and but he's he's not on the phone to the manager. He's speaking to millions and millions of people on Twitter who are reading what he's mm. saying. It was so conversational, that tweet, that it just felt uncomfortable reading it because it just felt like you shouldn't be putting this out in the public domain. You should be doing the work behind the scenes to fix this. And um, how awkward was it for Scott Parker when the reporters were asking him about it after the game and, and he's got to sort of field questions on it and he's like, oh, I don't actually know what you know what he said. I need to obviously go see what he said. But And then, and then later on he's got to sort of awkwardly say, yeah, it's not that helpful. Well, obviously it's not helpful. It's, uh, <laughs> it's terrible. And it, and for me, like I mean, I, I know this is a weird comparison, but um, it's like with with City just going out and buying a new centre back. It's like, what does that do for the squad? Like, 
like because the squad do read the papers the squad do actually you know check out social media now and again and, and what does that do for your own confidence if you're a Nathan Ake or in this case you look at some of the players in the centre the center backs for, for Fulham what does that do to your confidence and not just to your confidence say say you're a centre mid and you're basically best mates with the centre back at Fulham and then you see your mate just basically being told well you know once we get a better play we'll kick you out it's just it's it's a really toxic way of looking after your squad. You have to remember they're a squad, they're a team. They talk to each other. They've, they've got, um, you know, personalities, and you don't want to piss everyone off because it will make the performances even worse. It's not football manager. <laughs> yeah. Got to keep them happy, mate. That's the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, look, I have to say, like, um, I think I totally uh, overestimated Fulham uh, from the perspective of like everyone remembers Fulham from when they were in the Premier League last time and they were, they tried to come out and play attacking football and they were terrible. Um, I thought with, with Scott Parker and they would probably play a more sort of pragmatic style and they would have a better chance. But uh, like I don't know if the squad's even better since um, – from two years ago, I think the squad's worse. It, just, no, it sure, just seems, yeah. Well, there's there's that, but like, um, they they at least at the time they brought in a bunch of uh, like Premier League quality players. Whereas now, like in in um in the past twelve months, um, they've signed a whole bunch of uh, championship level players on like not small money. Like I think uh I think it was either Cavalero or or Bobby uh, Bobby Reed, um. And I think they they paid twenty million, I think, for for one of them at least. And like that's that's not small change. And like Bobby Reed did, yeah. <laughs> but like you, you would you would expect that that team, I guess, um, would be doing far better than than what they are. And I guess, um, yes, they've got some injuries, as as the the chairman said. But yeah, look, uh, things are pretty grim, I guess, for Fulham and. Uh, as you mentioned earlier on in the in the the show, Jesse, about how this is a really good opportunity for them uh, coming up with uh, with Wolves uh, in the next round in a couple of days' time, they they really need a result out of this, and, and not just a result, I guess, but a good performance as well. So if if they get a res- a result and a good performance, I think um, maybe they can get this season back on track. But look, if and everyone knows that like Wolves are a very good side. If 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 they can't um, put, get something out of this game. And a, and a good result. They they need both, uh, not necessarily a win, but they need something. If it stays um, this way, Big Sam's coming in. Big <laughs> Sam's coming in for Fulham. He's out of a job. Get him in there. Uh, poor Scott Parker might be uh, out before Christmas. Well, mate, you you never know. Like that's probably not a bad shout because I mean, um, Fulham like they we know that they want to stay up. Like they they spent the money to get back into the into the division. So. Yeah, look, that's that's maybe not a bad shout. And Big Sam, he's been out of a job, I think, since since the England job, wasn't it? And that was what two, three years ago. So I don't know, maybe he's on his way back. Mm. All righty, um, that wrapped things up for tonight, though. Uh, thanks for joining in on our midweek pod. Um, of course, uh, we'll be uploading this in the next um, day or so to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, and so on, wherever you get your audio on demand. Um, don't forget, you can always get a hold of us at mtagpodcast at gmail. Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook for memes, banter, and just, I guess, our, our take on the world of football at the moment. So um, until next time, enjoy the football. Mm-hmm.